mustache tails. Yeah! Hello, it's Jay Shader Sekar and Hayes MacArthur, and we're here with a new episode of Mustache Tales. Our guest today is famous for directing all of the Jackass movies and the Muttley Crew movie, Dirt, Jeff Tremaine. Hello, Jeff. What's happening? This story happened right a little bit after uh, Johnny Knoxville and I made Dukes the Hazard. So it was the winter, and I get a call. Uh, uh, at my house, I was living up in the Hollywood Hills, and so was Knoxville. And he said, "Hey, uh, I got a question for you. Would you mind uh, helping us out with a little gag in uh, Jackass Two? <laughs> and I was like, immediately, you know, my tentacles were up because the one thing, as you know, Jeff, is you never trust Johnny Knoxville. Frankly, I wouldn't trust you either, or any of your people, because um, right. I got to know you." all pretty well uh, during the making of Dukes. Uh, uh, and, you know, I felt occasionally tricked. People, you mean the jackass the people. The jackass not... people. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. The jackass people. I didn't mean right. to, like, trend into some sort of racial incident that quickly. Um, right. But thank you for saving me, Hayes. Uh, so, so, you know, look, it, during jackass you know, Knoxville and uh, brought me into that game where you randomly punch your friend in the balls uh, without warning. Um, and he did it to me repeatedly. It was one of those games you had to really learn. It took a long time to learn to cover your balls up every time he was around. Is it a game or is it just just a way of life? It, it's, yeah. it's torture. I it's mean, torture. It's, well, I mean, it hit you real hard. Like I was giving a yeah. speech thanking. There's only one rule. Hit the guy in the ball. That's right. right. I was giving his game in the world. On the last day of the Duke's Edge, I was giving a speech thanking the entire crew and the cast that follow me, drills me right there, right in the middle of my damn speech. Like there was no safety. There was no safety. Let alone, right. you know, of course, while we were, you know, went out every single night uh, in Louisiana during that period. I, we connected over that. And, you know, he was, at the time, he was, how, he was on, uh, I think it was Adderall. Uh, and um, and so I would be sitting there drinking with him, just me and him, and I'd hear a clink, and you and you look, and you know, there's a little pink pill in your glass where he had tried to just loft it in, but he actually clinked against the glass. He had terrible, he was a terrible basketball player. Um, but anyway, I, I was on edge, so he's like, "Can you help us with a little gag on Jackass 2? And I'm like, so I go over to to his house. Uh, or someone's house, and Spike Jones is there, and you're there. Uh, and the gag is, you know, is explained to me by you guys, is uh, that Darren, or sir, Aaron Danger, Aaron, yeah. is going to um, dre dress like a, um, a Middle Eastern terrorist. He's going to be wearing a dynamite vest. Uh, he's going to be attempting a really, his best... Middle Eastern accent, which you all assured me would be terrible. Uh, and he will be wearing a beard made of the pubic hair of all the members of Jackass. Uh, and that the gag was that I would be playing a cab driver because I'm Indian and uh, he wouldn't notice was the idea. <laughs> you people. <laughs> so, so then I would pick him up in a cab, drive him to the Burbank airport but he thinks i'm driving to the bank airport but i'm really driving yeah. him to a 
location that you guys have rigged with cameras that you're I'm gonna, and then at the end of that you know you know basically what I'm told is on the way to the airport he's going to insult America and insult my wife and I am supposed to get mad at him I'm supposed to blow by the Burbank airport pull into an like a enclosed alley get out of the car pull a gun okay which is a fake gun but he he was promised by you guys that the gun wouldn't be there. The driver would not have a gun. That's what he was promised, right? And so yes. I was supposed to pull this gun, get out of the car, yank him out of the car, punch him, kick him, dominate him like an animal so he knew he was dominated and get him in the goddamn trunk. And then shut the door and then I was done and you guys would come in and drive around and do donuts and whatever. And I was looking at Knoxville and looking at you and looking at Spike. I'm like, look, I'm no fucking idiot, okay? I know this is a double cross. I know you're going to fuck me somehow. <laughs> and Knoxville says, normally, you would be dead right. But this one time, we need right. your help, and we are not going to double cross you. This one time. And if I said, all right, I mean, I'll just wait for the fucking double cross to hit. I'm going to do it. <laughs> uh, and on the day of, you know, the only difference that happened was, uh, you know, one of you, I think you asked me if you could shave my pubes as well to add them to the mix. So I, I, I was going to the bathroom and you're like, hey, could, you, could a cameraman come in with you? And I'm like, no. <laughs> so so I, I shaved him. <laughs> Trust me, they'll be my pubes. And he had some pubes on his yeah. face too. And, um, you know, to your all your credit, the the, the gag went incredibly well. Uh, and, for uh, us, yeah. 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 For us, ahead. it was a win. If we got our pubic hair on his face, that's where <laughs> our goal was, right? Anything <laughs> after that was just gravy time, you know? And, uh, <laughs> but we did predict it all the way through, all the way to the very end, you know? <laughs> like, we luckily had it planned out to fucking put him in the trunk driving like i couldn't believe we got it that far but well when i pulled the gun he goes uh to dimitri who was it was in the back with the camera right. pretending to be on his side he yeah. said i told you he'd have a gun and you're like well he brought the idea of the gun up so uh the night before he was like what if he has a gun i'm like oh he won't have a gun and then right away knoxville's like we gotta get a gun so <laughs> Yeah, he helped write the you know, idea. Jay, I, I saw that before I knew you. And when I was watching the, the, the movie, I thought, I don't know how they're going to pull this off because I would assume that you would be recognized, right? Like it, it's a hard one. But, you know, again, yeah, it, the Indian cab driver, you fell into that trope. It's kind of why you wouldn't assume. <laughs> yeah. No, no. It was, it was a, you were driving the cab. Yeah. Like, what are the chances? It was like, a stroke. But it was a double yeah. cross. It was a double cross. Yeah, just yeah. not on me, which which I was totally fine with. Not, I mean, not it, on you. It, it made a lot of sense. And what you, what you guys all told me was he's going to be so up his own ass trying to remember how to do this accent that he won't right. even see you. Because I was like, yeah. you know, I have I have a little bit of an ego, and I'm like, look, he's he's a guy in his 30s. I mean, how could he not have seen Super Trooper? It doesn't make it's illogical to me, right? <laughs> I was like, and then the dude doesn't even recognize me. I'm like, motherfucker. I mean, I'm not even. I mean, what? And then and then at the end, he goes, "Are you an actor?" And I'm like, "What? Am I an actor? What dare you?" Yeah, that is one of the greatest. The law it's the longest thing we've ever shot too, like for Jackass. Like that's like a ten minute prank. 
yeah. in a movie that has almost 60 in it, 60 different right. pranks. That one is 10 minutes. That tells you how much the other ones were. So the, the boards clapping in the back as a heightening to the gun to make it seem like you were firing rounds into the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, Incredible. Because once he was in the trunk, everybody runs in. They're like, you're done. And I kind of walk away. The boards come out. They're slamming the, the two blocks. Then a driver, I don't know who the driver was, but he just starts <laughs> fucking rolling donuts. And yeah. then the trunk is popped, right? And he gets out. He's, of course, he's just dizzy. And then he throws up. And then he's like, <laughs> then you tell him the pubic hair is, is in his beard and it's in his mouth. Like it was just magic. It was one magic thing after another. All the way down to one of our guys having crabs. And you can actually see the crabs on his pubic hair. Like it was all real. Like so. that was real too. What do you guys think? Oh, yeah. yeah well, I remember the, the joke, crabs. but I never realized you guys were that good. I didn't you can actually see crabs. I never knew that they were non microscopic. Like you can see the little thing crawling around on the pubic hair. It's funny because we kept just trying to see, all right, well if it goes here, like we're in, you know, just crazy town. So let's just make it as crazy as possible. So we kept pushing it. And then he stayed on script the whole way. Like, I holy know. shit. I mean, <laughs> and, and and what I was told by Spike was when you get to the parking spot, turn around and punch him in the face. And I was like, yes. okay, I mean, I'll do it. And he, and he goes, no, no, no. You have, to, you have to make him psychologically feel dominated and have no chance of beating. So just drill it, right? And I'm like, We'll do it. And then he goes, then pull him out. I'm going to stomp him. Just stomp him until he's given up. And I'm like, okay. And then, and then <laughs> I'm like, what if he fights back? I'm like, I'll fight him, I guess. I don't want to. He goes, no, no, he'll never. Knoxville's like, he'll never fight back because we never fight civilians. And I'm right. like, okay. I mean, okay. Uh, yeah. And then at the last minute, they're like, maybe it's better if you just sort of bitch slap him several times and then pull him out. But do stomp him. And I'm like, we okay. never told you not to punch him in the face. I was grateful that I didn't have to punch your friend in the face. <laughs> I know he would have gotten the joke, but I don't know. He has so few teeth as it is. I didn't want to be right. like knock out even more. Do you remember when you also missed the turn? Like you were supposed to turn into that parking lot and you drove right past it. So we were all panicked like, oh, fuck, what are we going to do? We're getting too close to the airport. So we pulled our van in front of you and he didn't notice that we passed you. Yes. And, so there was uh, a, we led we were the told... way into the parking lot. Yes, I was told that the FBI would shut the gag down because they didn't trust you guys. And they're like, if right. you really take them to the airport, we're going to pull in and shut the whole fucking thing down, right? And so I'm like, so you guys are like, don't drive anywhere near the airport. And I'm like, got it. I got it. But here I am trying to fucking, I have, ter <laughs> I have terrible sense of direction. If I think yeah. uh, it's a left turn, I should always just take a right turn. So I'm like, trying to act and panicking and driving around and suddenly I've missed the turn and I'm driving by the Burbank airport and I'm like, yeah. oh, they're going to be so bummed. So I'm flooring oh, it. Fine. And then you guys realize I'm lost in the fall of it and you cruise by me like fast because I'm going so yeah. fast. And then I'm like, okay, okay, good. And then I find the, he led me to the alley. He doesn't notice because he really is doing this terrible air of yeah. exit. Uh, <laughs> I mean... Oh, shit. Well, well, the rule of not punching civilians, really, you, you do have some parameters around this stuff. 
when you guys would create these gags because that would buy you a lot of lead. like if you know you can't fight the guy then you, you know when when Dave England's taking a crap in the store there yeah. he could have gotten pummeled by the store owner that it's always one step away from a fight right right well the goal is to yeah, start the fight but don't participate in it just take whatever they give you and then keep it moving <laughs> it's the rule uh can you um, tell, I mean, I, I've heard the story of the origin of Jackass before, and can you tell me, I mean, you could tell the story or I could tell you what I think it is, but go ahead. Well, I'll tell you. So I was running a skateboarding magazine um, called Big Brother Magazine, which was yeah. really a humor skateboarding magazine. Like out of we where? A lot of, uh, we were out of El Segundo, California. Got it. Uh and we started making videos to go with the magazine, basically skate videos, but with little skits and shit in between. And uh, when we were about to make our second video, I'd become friends with Knoxville, and he pitched this idea. He wanted to try out all the self-defense equipment on himself. Like he wanted to, you know, pepper spray in size, uh, stun gun himself, get hit with the taser darts, and then he wanted to go to the desert and shoot himself in the chest wearing a bulletproof vest and i'm like that's now, a fucking great idea it is a great idea but what what where did it was he concussed for high school football or something like what where where did he get this mentality well he he was just trying to make it somehow you know like he he loved doing crazy shit and he knew we were into it uh i don't know where that idea came from yeah you yeah, have yeah to ask okay. him on that idea but i pushed it as far as that's a great idea let's do it and so, uh, and I'm like, and, and you got to film it, you know, <laughs> like, well, I was about to send Dimitri to film it. And then I started thinking about that bulletproof vest. And I know he got the cheapest one on the market because that's all he could afford at the time. Wait, Jeff, just back on Dimitri, which is so amazing because I don't think a lot of people know this. The guy who shot the original gag with Knoxville getting shot with the gun is still been with you guys for everything for the whole run and he was the only guy you could find that would actually film it right well that wasn't it wasn't Dimitri it was going to be Dimitri uh, but at the last second I pulled him because I didn't I got I started freaking out about the shooting the gun so it's actually Loomis who's still with wow. the, you know, the guy with the little uh, yeah right uh, he's filming and he's not a cameraman by any means um, no so the the camera work in the in the so Knoxville, I mean, I'm sorry. So so Dimitri did film all the other parts. He just didn't film the uh, bulletproof vest part, and that you can definitely tell is filmed by a non-cameraman. So the potential suicide part he didn't film exactly. The potential suicide part. <laughs> wow. So I mean, wow. So anyway, we put that in the second video, and it took off. That video was popular, uh, and. On the I internet? To, you no, know, it was popular. I mean, popular like through the world of skateboarding, through my world at that time. I was so like passed down, a, or like I mean, passed around, and yeah, like just our sales were good. Like it was just uh, people liked it, and uh, yeah. So I went to Spike, who knew what we were up to, and I said, "Hey, I think we can make a TV show out." And I talked to Knoxville about it before I went to Spike, and Spike was and Knox was into it, and so. Spike basically, you know, had all the access to making it a real TV show. So. 
that's basically the story. It was a VHS tape, dude, that was getting passed around like skateboard videos. Were yeah, we, I around. cut together like- Like a the, bootleg. Yeah, I cut together uh, our shit with Bam stuff, some of his CKY stuff, and some other shit. I just made a sizzle of what we can do. And that thing got duped and duped and duped all through like, you know, through CAA and all, everyone was passing it around at that point. You know, the story I had heard is not, I mean, and now I've, I've heard this story, I guess so too, but uh, I had heard something about a Greek restaurant and that, you know, like in, in Chicago, there's a place called Greek Town. And after you eat your food, you take the plate and smash it on the ground and say, oh, bah. And I had heard, what I heard was that you were at some Greek restaurant and Spike Jones smacked one of you in the head and was like, and then you guys were all smacking each other with these plates and then that somehow turned into jackass. So that's not it. No, that's not it. Something like that did happen. We were, um, I think it's when we committed, the three of us had dinner with our wives and girlfriends uh, at the Chateau, kind of when we committed to doing Jackass 3, I think. And um, 3D. on the way out, 3D, yeah. And uh, on the way out, Knoxville had stolen one of those. They they have real nice dinner plates at, at sure. the Chateau. So big, heavy dinner plate. And you know that the driveway going out, we're walking down the driveway, and he just runs up behind Spike and just slams him over the head with that dinner plate. And it just turned to dust. And there was like one little drop of blood on the back of Spike's head. And that was it. I'm like, oh, I mean, it, it turned into dust. I mean, it just went boom. And I, I don't even know why. I didn't see it coming at all. Uh, but that was just how we uh, <laughs> opened. That was the greatest uh, use of 3D I have ever and still have ever seen in my view. And I, I saw Avatar in the theater at the uh, Cinerama Dome. And that's the second greatest use of 3D in my view. Yeah, we but tried I to thought- just shut the door on it. <laughs> I mean, do you remember the last uh, shot of that movie, Jay, when they uh, put Jeff put the whole cast in the room and wired it with explosives, and yeah. it was shot in slow motion? Yeah, and yeah, you, I remember seeing that in 3D and the heightening of that. It started with like a water tank, a little electric spark, and by the end, the entire room was flooded and bodies were coming flying. <laughs> We we almost lost Wee Man in that shot. Yeah, like he got sucked out and trapped under the little. We had a little like, uh, what do you call that? That fencing that, and he got stuck under it under this rushing water tank that was flooding. Oh, because there was something holding the stuff in the room from yeah, coming out. It, it and was, he was basically pinned. trying oh. to catch the debris so it didn't go into the drain or whatever, and so he got pinned into that. Uh, uh, Jay, you asked the question um, about how. Jackass started, yeah, and, and Jeff told the story, and then you had your version of the story. Yeah. I just, I have a different theory, um, and it goes back to uh, Jeff's grandfather, who um, Myron Tremaine, who uh, Jeff and I are uh, for the six people who know our cousins. Um, our uh, gra- my great grandfather and his grandmother were brother and sister. And that we the family still run tight, which is why it's so great to see you. So when I knowing Jeff, you know the way I know him, you always figure out. Well, you're trying to think like what makes this guy's what makes him tick. Like how does he 
figure all this stuff out. So Myron Tremaine, um, who was married uh, to Esther Words Tremaine, um, were a couple who uh, were in the, they were on an army base. Uh, Jeff's grandfather was General Patton's, I'm not, I'm not taking you for a walk, I swear this is all true. Jeff's grandfather was General Patton's doctor, like personal doctor, like the guy who was in charge of, you know, liberating the free world and defeating the Nazis, Patton. The guy behind that guy was Myron, was Jeff's grandfather. The, the brilliance and ingenuity at that time to be in charge of perhaps one of the most important people in the world, General Patton, is incredible. Now, when you think about that, and then you think that his grandson is wiring with that same brain set and ingenuity is wiring porta potties to explode and shoot them in the air with bungee cords or put his penis in a sock and stick it into an aquarium with a cobra. It's the same talent on that side of the family that's come down from generations. <laughs> Jeff is just using his powers in different ways. <laughs> Try to just drag the family name into the <laughs> deepest mud pit. But people don't know you were like, would you consider yourself an army brat? I am. Well, yeah, because my dad was also in the army. Uh, and so as yes. a doctor, as, as a doctor. As, yeah. So you were on ba on bases, right? Like I was on bases. Yeah. Would yeah. So. But like on bases, like in what parts of the country, like you're with military personnel, your whole yeah, life, you're like, the most well, disciplined, regimented, polite people in the world. Right? Like growing up, we were in San Francisco on the Presidio Army Base. That was when it was nice. an active base during Vietnam. Uh, and so we lived there and then we- That's the most beautiful that's, base that's in really the country. Only, yeah, it's awesome. That's the only time I actually ever lived on, on a base. Uh, after that, we- Lived around the base, but not on it. But your childhood was—you were in school on a, on a base. We've never really discussed no, this. You know, the I reason was... that this brought me—I was talking to my dad before mm -hmm. I said we were going to sit down with Jay and have this conversation, and he just was like, "Oh, yeah. I mean, he's the one who cued me on that story. He's like, oh, you got to tell Jeff. You got to ask him about David. You know, one of the great—he talked about your dad, one right. of the great orthopedic surgeons in the world, man." <laughs> My dad called me man, called me brother when he's talking about it. He's like, you know, he started, he started talking about your dad. He started at the Naval Academy and then he transferred to West Point. I mean, he was doing oh, shit. deep cuts on the whole thing. Yeah, um, Bruce was just all over. Your dad, I remember one of the first memories I have of your dad was we were in Miami and my dad wasn't there. He had to stay back because he was working or whatever. And so we're on a family vacation in Miami and your dad comes over. And he decides to prank call my dad. And so your dad pretends to be a general who needs a hip replacement. And it, and also my dad just turns into, oh, yes, yes, sir, no, sir. Like my dad's a, you know. <laughs> he knew right where to get him. Oh, he so just. Your dad's like, this is what uh, I do. It was so fucking funny because I are generals. I've never seen anyone get my dad like to just bow down. It was so funny just to watch your dad just magically tear him down. It was great. So like he prank calls him, he's totally bullshitting with him. Then when he says general, your dad like falls in line. <laughs> he also told me to tell you this. He said, and just, you know, tell Jeff, and this is a deep cut, Hayes. You got to tell him that Myron, by proxy of taking care of General Patton, liberated my father in Stalingrad three under the Nazis when we won the European theater. I was like, what? Have you had your dad on? Because you sound just like your fucking dad, too, by the way. 
Hayes, would your dad do it? Oh, I think he would. Yeah. I think he would. And his dad's funny. Get my, my brother back. We had my brother on a uh, couple weeks ago. I saw, I saw a little clip on it. That was funny. He's so funny. Uh, the porta potties, you know, we nobody on Dukes of Hazard ever went into the porta potties after Sean William Scott went in on the like the first day, and immediately <laughs> Nigel's rocking the thing, and I'm like, we got to shoot with him. You can't yeah. get shit all over his clothes, please. And from then on, the entire cast and crew just pissed next to the to the porta potty. Nobody would ever yeah, go in. We we wrote a porta potty bit for the new movie. And I was like, fuck, man, no one is ever going into a porta potty on our set. And we rigged it so there was just no other way. Like, we kept, we had people on parole yelling at anyone who pissed in the, like, we were at this, like, a, it wasn't a ranch, it was a quarry. And we had, like, there was, there was no buildings around. So, uh, and we had somebody who said, like, listen, you cannot pee on, there's uh, natural foliage around that you can't pee. And so, Everyone was on high alert, so we were trying to just funnel into the porta potties, and uh, and it worked eventually. It took a minute, but have you had what would you say was the biggest one? Because it's always the trick on the trick, and then how to get people to do the trick so you can do the trick. Have you had stuff that you thought was just a home run, and and when you executed it, it didn't work? Like a, a like on paper, it was just supposed to be the best prank ever. And man, I'm trying to think. We've had a you know, a lot of times it's the biggest idea we set up is is the one that's probably not going to work. And we try to do a human Rube Goldberg, like where everyone went through a, a torturous stunt in the first movie. It was expensive. We spent like I don't know sixty thousand bucks on this one, which was a ton of money for us. Like on this one stunt that everyone had their own little moment in it, and we just couldn't get it to work right. But that's the same day that Wee Man kicked himself in the head. Which was the funniest thing to us. Like, he just... Yeah. I mean, Jay, you know what it's like when you're asking a studio to give you money for an idea? And then imagine these guys going in, asking for... They've got it budgeted out, and they're like, we want to do this. And, like, people in suits are like, um, let's see if this is worth it. How much does it cost? Is there insurance? Like, <laughs> I... I have footage of us going in. It's, it's more, this is not about asking for, this was with all the Paramount executives uh, on Jackass 3D. We brought Matt Hoffman with us and he was end up, he ended up just filming this meeting. Like, I don't know why we brought him, but he was just with us and we brought him into this. We're going in to talk to Paramount. They had seen a rough cut and we were going in to basically fight for every frame of penis we could get. <laughs> like, cause they would kept telling us, no, that's too much. You got to cut it down. And uh, we were in there just trying to fight for penis with all the executives. Are you talking about, are you talking about number four? No, this is three. This is like oh, okay. the craziest thing is we went to war on ev for every frame of penis. Like there was this one shot. We shot it. We were using the phantom camera. That's why the 3D they looked so good. We built a 3D phantom camera. So it's super slow motion. So that if you live in the 3D, you know, you really like, get to see it all. Uh, and we did this stupid little shot where Knoxville pitches a ping pong ball to Pontius who's naked and he swings his dick and hits the ping yeah. pong ball and then Bam tries to catch it in his mouth. Incredible. And, uh, and it was incredible. It looks so cool. Like the, you know, the dick just yeah. wraps around the ball and, and, and it goes you know, super slow motion. And 
we get a note back from the MPAA, like, uh, that's, that's too much pain. It's just on there too long. So I sped it up a little bit. I sped it up to the point where it stops being funny at a certain, it stops looking super cool. right. Like yeah. what worked about it is how cool that you can see all the little dents in the dick as it, you know, hits the ball. And so I sped it up to where it still looked cool and then resubmitted. And it was still like a 30 second shot. And, uh, and after that is the magic got lost, you know, like, so I'm like, this is it. And like now 30 seconds is too much. I'm like, and I'm not, I'm dealing through Paramount who deals with the yeah. MPA. So we have they a middleman. They don't let you talk directly. Right. So they have a middleman that's going in there and saying, oh, the filmmakers want more penis, penis shot. And so. Uh, trying to it, explain the rule of comedy that it gets funnier the longer right, it gets. Right. And so it comes back. They're like, they'll, they'll, live you, they'll let you have that shot of exposed penis for 10 seconds like some arbitrary 10 seconds is what and so we're like all right well we're just so fuck you guys at this point that um we put a black bar over the dick and then right where it starts to look cool the black bar it's like the sensor just lost the tracking so the dick comes out from under the black bar hits the ball and then the black bar catches up exactly at the front the 10 second mark and so that was our solution to get that one on the funniest thing is like, and then we just did Jackass Forever, and it's all there's it's all dick, and they never yeah. said oh less of it. I mean, I think everyone just had COVID brain and was like oh fuck, or they were watching it at home and they just got distracted and came back to it. My wife and I went to see that that film and we left it, and she goes a lot of dick. I mean, it was just yeah. I think that's what so, my mom said too. Uh, Knoxville sent me uh, three questions for you um, that he oh, said would boy. be would be good stories. So uh, he, wa- he asked me to ask you about the time Stebo and Pontius were written up as heroes on Richard Branson's reserve, maybe in Australia. No, it was in Africa. I don't know if he, I don't think it was Richard Branson's. It might. It was this five star. Right, we're shooting the. I'll set, I'll set it up. So we were shooting the pilot for a show called Wild Boys, which was a yeah. show. I did for MTV right after the success of the first Jackass movie. So basically I could do anything I wanted. And so I pitched a nature show to MTV and they're like, well, I'll make, but it, it'll be like Jackass nature show. And they're like, all right, let's try it. So we go and they pay for us to shoot the pilot in South Africa. And so we're, we're down there to shoot gray, white sharks and all kinds of cool shit. And we're staying at this really beautiful resort. And it's like on a nature reserve. It's all these like stone buildings with with thatched huts, you know, really, but really nice. And for some reason, we let Pontius and Steve-O room together. Everyone else is like, you know, staying separate. The crews teamed up, but Pontius and Steve-O were staying in the same room. And each of these rooms had a little stove fireplace kind of thing with a little pipe that ran up, you know, an old-fashioned stove thing. And it was cold. South Africa's cold. Like in the winter, we were there in the winter time, and so they showed us how to make a fire. And uh, I think Steve-O just got super stoned and just filled the thing full of the wood. And so the he looked at the the pipe, and the pipe was red hot, going all the way up to the roof. And the roof is just this thatched, like this wood thatched roof, right? And so the sparks start flying out. The whole place catches on fire, and Pontius is freaking out. They're they're running around like fire, fire, and uh, the 
people next door to them who were journalists uh, wouldn't wake up. So Pontius breaks the window, goes in, wakes them up, grabs all their shit, pulls it like they save these two people. And uh, like, I think this fucking shit is, I, I get woken up uh, to there being a fire. And I'm like, I thought I was being pranked. And then I look up and the sky is just red. And I'm like, holy shit. Right. Like it, it burned right. down three units to the grill. Like, so the end of the day, there was a, I'll send you photos, Jay. You can put them up there. Like it was just, I mean, you have to be thinking that this is a prank of some sort, right? Like I was in just your like, no, brain, I, like yeah, fire, the, fire. Someone wakes you up. You're like, yeah, yeah. it's right, like guys. five o'clock in the morning and I'm being, well, oh fuck. And we're supposed to go out on a boat and, you know, try to get attacked by great white sharks. It's so I'm like, oh fuck. Uh, and I wake the up to this. Survived this fire, and they go swim with sharks. And the yeah, and MTV let us stay out there. They're like, yeah, just stay, whatever. Uh, and it turns out the journalists wrote this uh, article about how Chris and Stebo saved them. The the press was all good. <laughs> like, never mentioned that Chris and Stebo also started the fire. So it just <laughs> yeah, they got written up as heroes, and. uh the pilot came out great. We actually went out that morning and uh, Chris and Steve jumped out of the boat and landed right on the back of a gray white shark and then jumped in the cage. That, but this is a separate shark incident from the time that Poopy almost got his head bitten off. Different time, yeah. That, that was a definitely different time. <laughs> that one was, that was a serious, that was the shark week. Right? That was, like something yeah. bad went. Yeah, that was bad. So that was for Shark Week. Yeah. That was a Shark Week and it was a shark bite on Shark Week. I mean, week. it almost bit his hand off. It was fucking scary as shit. Yeah. Is it is his head still damaged? It's still damn I think it, it pretty much works. Like uh yeah, we were lucky. Like he's I don't I don't know. Uh I'm I think it's still a little bit stiff from the scar tissue in there, but uh you know, last time I saw it, it was working great. Pretty much works. Uh Okay, and, and wait that that when that I just want to before we move on when that happens like so all the you're capturing stuff and you're really trying to you know not just pull pull the trick off but actually make it look good on film and sometimes there's like elation like we did it we got it if some right. guy's hurt it's okay because we got it this was just a well it downbeat was, it was crazy because. Yeah, the, the, you know what the, the stunt was, right? We were trying to do the Fonzie jump the shark bit, like where we dress poopies up like Fonzie. We had a ramp out in the middle of the ocean and we were chumming in front of the ramp and had it boiling with sharks. And he was on water skis and he was going to launch, you know, over the sharks and, you know, be the big hero, just like Fonzie. And uh, it, it ended up, he hit the jump and basically just slammed not very far past the jump. And we were all thought that was, that's hilarious. Like it took a second. So we're watching it and like, oh, he didn't, you know, make it. And then the sharks came from over where the ramp was and just swam up and just, and it was right at the top of the surface. So we're all right there. We can see it happen. And it was so scary. Oh, yeah. So uh, there's a version of that where he's in the water and the sharks don't bite him. Right. And he gets out. Which is what we thought like, would happen. Uh, but we got right. a little cocky. So. Uh, you thought that would happen even though you chummed the water like crazy and had it boiling yeah. with sharks? <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, we'll move on. Um, this is the Knoxville's second question, and then there's one more. 
So ask right. him about the fight he and Bam got into in New Orleans while filming the second movie. Um, so I don't know if that's a great story. I mean, basically we were uh, I, I have a different filming. one if you want. Uh, he, 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 <laughs> I, he could say this one. I have a whole bunch, actually. I just picked three. Okay. So this, he said, ask him about the time Knoxville almost cummed on him in Germany. Oh, my God. You could answer that so, one or or this one. Since he's drinking almost everyone's pee in Jackass, who is his favorite tasting pee? Knoxville offered that Wee Man's was his favorite. Yeah, Wee Man's tastes the best of all the guys, and there's the least amount of other shit in it besides, you know. Um, Clean living. I'll tell you the, the come down story, because you were lucky you got out in the old days where getting hit in the nuts at the bar, that was the big stuff. That, you know, it, it evolved... He, our our bar room antics evolved quite a bit, uh, or devolved, I guess you would say, uh, to where it turned into you'd sneak up and pee on each other, pee in her drinks, light each other on fire, and then the goal came to I'm going to sneak up and come on, which is hard. That's a hard one to pull off. And one day we were doing that's a lot of timing. A lot it's of a thought. lot. Of, it's a lot of time. Yeah, because no one is going to take a willy, you know, sit there and take it. So. Uh, we were doing press for, I think it was Jackass. It was Jackass 2 or Jackass 3, I don't remember, but I remember um, I had to use his computer or something. So I knocked on his door and I went into his room and I'm on his computer and we had these big ass suites, like Paramount looked this up. And I think we were in Germany and I'm on his computer in this little like kitchen area and I hear this giggling coming from way back in his bedroom. And all of a sudden, he just come barreling towards me naked, jerking it. And I'm like, holy shit. And luckily, I had enough time to just dive into the bathroom and slam the door. Like, And so I'm holding the door shut. And it's a small enough bathroom where I can just totally wedge and just hold the door shut so he couldn't open it. And then he just, you know, I guess he jerked off on the wall and missed me. So. I mean, it's hard enough to do when you're standing up or oh, lying it's in down, a full but sprint, to ejaculate man. while you're running at uh, yeah. your best friend jerking. <laughs> I mean, and just pull a taffy, you know, just speed, speed jerking it. So yeah, uh, imagine if you got used to that the next time you're with your wife. You're oh like, my this God. is good, honey, but um, do you mind standing over there? I'm going to run at you. On that on that same trip, um, we, we were in Sweden and I was super hungover, getting ready to go do press. I'm in the back of the band. And I fell asleep, and then I wake up, and I feel this little, like, hit my face, you know? And I look up, and bam, it's over me, like, jerking, like, trying to trying to come on me. But he had this long scarf that hit me before uh, he could. So I just woke up and just punched him in the dick as hard as I could and just, like, scurried out of there. That's yeah. the Army base training. Jeff. That's the Army base training. For, like, that's yeah. the benefit I, that, of growing up on an Army I remember business. two stories now. One is that... Um, I was at Willie Nelson's birthday at the Roxy uh, because we were, you know, we were used to hang with him quite a bit. And I was talking to Toby yeah. Keith, and um, I realized there was a, someone's like fire, and Knoxville had shot a pool of of lighter fluid, and my left shoe was on fire. And I was like, motherfucker, I don't even know about this kind of gag. I'm like, what the fuck? And he's like, oh, yeah. and Toby Keith. I mean, it was just whatever. And then. The other thing that happened was we were flying to London for the Dukes of Hazard premiere on a private plane. 
And so I'm sitting across from Jessica Simpson and I fall asleep and I wake up with Knoxville's balls like draped under my ear and she's taking a photo. I was like, <laughs> okay, the phone is out there somewhere. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. So, that's how you get, that's how you lose your Senate seat. <laughs> yeah. So this is the, uh, the third question was this. He says, um, so apparently Jeff, you, you work out three to four times a week. So he said, who's his trainer? Chef Boy RD? I will not disparage. <laughs> I will not disparage my trainer, but, uh, <laughs> it's my dietitian that I need to fire. So. Uh, all right, cool. So, um, can we talk about Dirk? Uh, the Motley sure. Crew movie. Um, I mean that that book uh, about Motley Crue is like famous uh, as like the you know I've I've read some Led Zeppelin books. I've read the Grateful Dead book, um, and they're all quite debaucherous. But that book is the sort of the famous one for the really really nasty stuff. And so, right, uh, in right. terms of the nudity and the sex and the drugs and all that. And so when um, I heard you were making a movie, I'm like, wow, it's going to be. I mean, you kind of got it in right before the moment where it would be a much more difficult movie to make because it's there's just tons of nudity and drugs. Yeah. No, we we made that, you know, in 2018, which was a okay. hard time to make that movie. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but it is what it yeah. is. The book you, was what it was. Right. You had and, to. Yeah, we had to. And uh, yeah, you it's funny because that for like, years. that book we passed around like, in the right when we made the first Jackass movie, that we believe it or not, all the guys read and they all we all read that book like holy shit. And then as years went on, and even up to that point, I connected to that book just just because I felt like man, I'm living this right now. You know, I'm right in this world. You know, for all the good and bad of it. You know, we've been through the addiction, the whole fucking thing. But I really yeah. connected to that uh, on a on a level that. That's why I wanted to do that movie so bad, just because, not that I was the biggest Milo Crew fan, but that I really felt like I understood what it's like to well, that, be a that's passenger what on that. that was like going around the, with that jackass crew. It was like there was there were sometimes heavy drugs being used. Like, like I remember yeah. talking to Stebo one night in the at a party, and he had these really dark sunglasses on, and was just like, "Yeah, man, yeah." Like he, that's all he said, just over and right. over. I'm just talking, yeah. Like you're like what's going on? Like, yeah. It was just not there, not even close. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you ever saw. We did this. Uh, we did a 24 hour takeover of MTV once, so it was live. All the Jackass guys, and this was when Steve was at the height of his drug addiction. Like, and so he was smoking PCP in the bathroom and getting yelled at by everybody, and like, and then came out. And he was just so fucking out of his mind. We basically kicked him out of there and we needed like 24 hours is a long time but yeah he well, was... that's the line like when you're trying to pull something off and there's that much fuckery and partying partying happening around you but you're doing you know dangerous stuff with high stakes I, see I, because i know you there's this part of your brain you can i feel like i don't know if this is the case but i feel like you can still have an organizational awareness in in how we're going to execute this like yeah it's all crazy and, and and nuts but we've got to actually we're doing a job yeah like i never saw it during the daytime honestly all the guys came and if if they were doing something i wasn't aware of it like it really 
everyone took it takes it pretty serious when we're shooting. You know, they they get in there and they everyone wants it to be great and you, you get a sense. But then no, there's not like we're not like drinking beers on set, and getting fired up or you know shooting. I I can't say that you know back in the day, Steve wasn't starting lines before he did shit. I don't know, but like most of the debauchery happened at night. Like, but when you're shooting, it's like a real set. It's like a real set, yeah, pretty much. I yeah, mean, it's, it is it's, a real set. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a fuck set, but it's real. Like we're there to work, you know. Uh, but you know, idle hands are the devil's playthings. There, so you see, it's like they get bored real quick and then start doing other fucking shit while we're setting up a big thing. So, did Tony Cavallero snort the real ants? Uh, no, those were in the dirt uh, movie. The, no, but he he totally would have if I had provided. He the would have. I thought, yeah, maybe but, he would have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he definitely would have. <laughs> yeah, he's the best. Uh, he's awesome. It's Jay, did you know? Yeah, he's awesome. Do you know that um, Jeff directed? So, for someone who's listening to this, you guys, directors, sometimes get offered gigs to do stuff for corporations or commercials, different side gigs that don't really have to do with you know your main thing. And I guess there's a whole uh, representative part of you that uh, that you work with, representatives that help you get these gigs. And Jeff directed, I think m- maybe one of the most improbable safety videos. Which is probably Airlines. the whole American Airlines. I did the American Airlines safety video, which I'm so proud of uh, just that I did it, you know, because like, someone made the decision you know who needs to make our safety video, which will be probably the most viewed piece of content <laughs> ever, is let's get the jackass guy to do our safety video. And so I just thought Joe, that's what, so that funny. board meeting at American Airlines, like, okay, God, we got to time to add, do another safety video. They're all bummed out. And yeah. some just derelicts like, like, we went we after that get one. Jeff Tremaine to shoot this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, that's it's still crazy to me. Like, it's that was, uh, man, over 10 years ago. That's probably the thing. But, that, I reg- that's probably the thing I've made that the most people have seen. To be honest, it's like, sit there. You have to watch it. You know, before you used to just have to sit right there, there. And watch it. American Airlines is the biggest airline in the world. Like so, it's yeah. on every flight. You know, just every day. So. The stakes are pretty high. The stakes are high. Fuck you got to fucking. Let's get Jeff to do it. Oh, Was that's, it funny? That's pretty rock and roll on the part of American Airlines. It's 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 cool. Look, it's a visually cool. It's kind of like a little okay go-ish. It's like magic magic tricks within the yeah. camera, you know, pract- practical stuff. Um so um, yeah, nobody's getting um sat behind a jet engine having right, the, right. the jet blow into their face. If you watch like it, you Ryan. wouldn't think, oh, Jeff Tremaine directed that. But oh, okay. uh, but it, it came um, out yeah, I like it. Uh the yeah. um have you directed other narrative films besides Dirt? No. Yeah, you know. No, it's, it's, and, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was um, going to say I, I thought that the choreography, the camera choreography, and the performance choreography was was uh, at a very high level. Um, and I know, look, I know that Jackass has uh, an immense amount of choreography going, so that must have you must have felt fairly comfortable in this because it's really, in my view, like not only is, is like the, is the blocking and the, and the camera moves and the choreography really done well, but there's a lot of like, you're shooting through glass and you're doing, you know, this when Tommy punches that window and 
there's just a lot of, of like, uh, in my view, like advanced elements to the directing. So good, good work Thank done. You. Thank you. Yeah, my goal when I did it, like, was I am going to be the least experienced guy on the whole set. So I yeah. just made sure that my DP, uh, my production designer, everyone was just on a, such a higher level than me. Yeah, I, I my goal was just I'm going to focus on performance with the actors and everyone yeah. else. You just make it look great. I trust you to do the best job. Yeah. So, did that come after Bad Grandpa? You did the dirt yeah. after Bad Grandpa. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, so bad see, grandpa. Bad Grandpa was the I thought the the trick to it why it was so amazing was that it was a real story being told like a movie, but it was a, a reality a prank show. It was it was this combination of of your storytelling and then the jackass stuff happening right. at the same time. Right. And that, I'll be honest, like that I've done because I also did. Uh, it's called Bad Trip with Eric Andre. I didn't direct it. I produced it, but uh, I was very involved in it. Like it's a hidden camera narrative. There's, they're hard. That's like the hardest kind of movie to make because like, you have to make the scripted movie, but you don't have control of your actors, right? <laughs> Except you have yeah. control of two, pe two people, but you know, the other half of it is they're, they're doing it in front of real people and you're, you're, you know, you're hoping for the best. But, you got to uh, get like story points out, right? Yeah. Like, you I'm still a, mad. Uh, you put a jackass tribute into into dirt when Tommy punches uh, that dude in the balls or gets punched in the balls. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, yeah. That was you know very familiar to me. We even uh, I don't know if it made the movie, but we we had a guy in the crowd kind of holding up two crutches and an X oh, in a nice. huge crowd scene. So I got a few little nods in there. But um, yeah. Uh, it's and and were the members of of the band? Did they did they support or show up or get involved or? Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, it was intense because I'll tell the story of like getting the gig. So like I had to pitch myself to each of the band members to uh -huh. get their approval before I even could get the gig. So, uh. And the first one I met with was Nikki Six, who I thought was going to be the hardest guy to win over. And basically, I went in there, and he was super cool. Kind of, I think, didn't take me serious at first. He's like, I'll just meet with this guy, but that's not who I want to get to direct. And then we connected on a cool level. Like, just I pitched myself as why I feel like I'm the guy who can tell this story with authenticity and everything else. Uh, and by the end of the meeting, he was on board. And my next meeting was with Tommy Lee, who I'm like, I've hardly prepared for that. I mean, I just figured Tommy's going to be, he's one of my guys, right? I, yeah. Tommy is yeah. going to be easy. Tommy fucking grilled me. Like, he's like, well, how are you going to do this? And I don't know, man. Like, dude, like, he just got really into the weeds on shit and uh, made me work hard to fucking scramble around and win him over. And uh, so I left the meeting thinking, oh, fuck, man. I fucked Tommy Lee's meeting up. And right when I get to my car, he's like, Dude, this is gonna be so fucking rude, bro. Yeah, like, where were you in that meeting, man? Like, this is this is who I thought I was gonna be with. <laughs> right. So that was crazy. Yeah, because yeah, you're like the steward of their story. Yeah, they like probably that's, took that's, it all. Like, that's heavy, right? To tell somebody's life story and they're alive, they're yeah. gonna watch it. I mean, it's a, it's a dramatic, gnarly story. You know? uh, so I took it serious, you know, and I. I they were very involved and, and they were involved in the right level. Like they didn't 
over they they let me do my thing but uh but they they definitely were involved and did it follow like did you had to must have pare the book down a lot to yeah it was of, hard yeah so yeah. there was a script that when when we started there was a script that flew around for a long time and so basically we took that script but we made it a lot more of a linear story so we just kind of went through the book and then he wrote really great scenes so we just basically kept the scenes we liked his alive and then filled in all the gaps just through this uh going through the book and then limited it to just basically 81 to 89 i guess is the story we told so yeah it's interesting because you know we there have been you know some other rock and roll movies and you you know as you watch this movie there's a scene where they come out towards the end and they're all like they've got this makeup like he's got this makeup on and these these this you know and they're all they're all wearing these crazy ass outfits and you're like oh yeah i remember when rock stars were basically like yeah like big broadway performers almost yeah. like with high heels and makeup and and you're like god it would have been and as they age there's they're, they're like oh you know, they're still like, having to do this thing. It reminded me of Kiss a little bit because as a high school right. uh, kid, I had a friend who was like a lunatic Kiss Army fan. And as a result, I'd seen Kiss six times. And I was like, I don't really love Kiss. But every time I go to the show, I was standing on the seat going, Paul, you know, cold gin, cold gin, you know. And you're like, <laughs> it, it just revs you up. And I'm like, this is sort of like, because I was not a Motley Crue like, you know, I knew the songs, but I was not right, like, right. I was more of an Allman Brothers fan, really. Uh, and and so when I when I was like, I was always like, I, I was like, oh, you should read Dirt. I'm like, I don't know, I'm not a big Motley Crue fan, but they're like, no, that's fantastic. And if, I'm like, so excited if I didn't see the movie. I'm going to go back and read the book now. But it was, uh, it reminded me of that sort of dress up kiss kind of thing. And they were, right. you know, and we all fall into our sort of roles. Like they do all this stuff. The women go, oh, we love this. And then there's all this sex and drugs. And it's all part of a big sort of play, it feels like. It's yeah. also that area of Sunset Strip, right? Like, right. There was something happening for people who haven't been to Los Angeles. If you're coming into Sunset Strip, which is it, it in Los Angeles, it's on a hill. You used to be able to look out to the right and, and have great views of the city and everything. But there was just this there's a wild ass vortex right in the middle where it's like the comedy store and the rainbow room and right. all these rock and roll clubs. The Roxy. A lot, the Roxy, all this stuff was happening at like those six spots from like the seventies and then punk, uh, the, the punk, uh, rock shit came out of there too at the same time. Yeah. yeah. It was, uh, everyone was like hanging out at that, that one space. And I think, you guys probably, I mean, we all overlap with it a little in some way going into those bars. The same characters were hanging out there. I mean, they're they still there. Like the dinosaurs, the dinosaurs of metal are still at the rainbow bar grill, right? Like you can go in there on any Saturday night and they're still just, maybe not the rock stars, but the roadies and the, everyone's there. Like it's still a scene. Uh, it's funny. Uh, I'm doing a doc, right? I'm doing a doc series for Paramount right now on, 80s hair metal basically and uh telling that story of the sunset strip the when metal took it over and uh and i wasn't the biggest uh i wasn't even that huge molly crew fan but i, I like molly crew uh but now since i made the dirt <laughs> came to me yeah and, hey do you want to make the this? guy like, yeah i actually do 
uh, and it's been awesome because I just got to interview all these guys and it's, it, so yeah, now I'm a hair metal expert. You're the historian. You're the historian, I'm the historian of that, of that, of that area. Scene. Yes, I can tell what, you. When it's is, wild because Laurel Canyon is like a half mile up the street, and all yeah. the folk hippie Buffalo Springfield wrote that song like right like a half mile up the street from right. what became hair metal. But like, a lot of the metal dudes when they made it moved up to Laurel, like 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 the guitar player for Rat still lives right down the street here. I'm in Laurel yeah. right now. He lives right down what, the street. You know. When does hair metal awesome. start officially? I think it starts with Motley Crue, to be honest. Like it was bubbling up, but Motley Crue, like Van Halen sort of sets the table, right? Van Halen, but they break out in the 70s and the door shuts right after Van Halen breaks up. There's no, like the music industry is not interested in more hard rock coming out of LA, right? They want yeah. the, like, they want new wave and then uh there's still a rock scene like quiet riot is playing there's a bunch of bands that are and nikki six is in a few bands uh and it bubbles up and then but when molly crew starts like that's something new they get attention right away and there's a little scene right behind them so there's molly crew and was and then rat right behind them and then great white and it's all bubbling up right there on the strip you know Holy shit, that the Jack Russell from Grey White is fucking awesome. Like his stories are insane. Like And that's in yeah. the documentary. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, that's it's cool. So um So you're sitting down and interviewing these guys uh-huh. and then it's yeah, gonna be all a, of them. wow. Uh so the podcast is sort of sponsored by this app I do called Vouch Vault, uh, which it's meant to be like the Instagram of recommendations, kind of. That's the concept. It's like you follow mm-hmm. people and then you find out what they like, what movies, television, books, restaurants. Uh, so at the end of this, we kind of do a little uh, vouching. So I don't know if you've had time to think well, of anything. Jay, Jay, Jay started it uh, quickly. We could, He started it in spite because when you, when you work and you get bad reviews, he was like, this is bullshit. I, I, Rotten Tomatoes is horseshit. So I want to hear people's personal recommendations about stuff. And then right. people who I like, I can get hip to what they like and go check out that yeah. stuff. Vouchwald is a spite store, definitely. I, 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 I built it to take Rotten Tomatoes down um, for sure. So I'm going to vouch for, um, and I'm always a little bit late to parties, but uh, I'm going to vouch for the bear. Um, uh, before I do, I want to talk about being late to the party. So you guys made Jackass, and it was a huge hit on television. And whenever something's a huge hit, I'll avoid it. Uh, and so I just have a problem. I don't know what's wrong. With so I just didn't ever see it. I, was, I see it on MTV, like kind of go by. I'm like, okay, whatever. It's called Jackass. What, I'm not, probably not going to like it. And so I go, uh, I get high, and I go alone to the first Jackass movie at the Beverly Center. And I kind in the afternoon. And I'm like, this is the greatest, most funny thing I've ever seen in my entire fucking life. And I call Kevin Heffernan from Broken Lizard, and I'm like, we should break up uh, because we're. It doesn't matter what the scripted bullshit. I mean, it doesn't matter what we do. We're never going to be as good as that. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just depressed now. Because um, I became, and then I started watching the television. I became the biggest fucking fan. So um, 
my uh the bear everyone's talking about the bears and talking to the bear and i'm from chicago so they're like you really gonna watch the bear uh, and so I watched one episode of The Bear, and there was like all this like frenetic camera work. And uh, I don't know, I'm trying to ride a little more mellow lately. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to like The Bear. And everyone's just hounding me to watch The Bear. Finally, I just sit down and start watching The Bear uh, and drinking red wine. Um, and and boy, I love this. I love this show. I'm in season two. I'm not all the way through it yet. I'm about to see the episode. Everyone says that's a great episode. I think it's episode six or whatever. But the bear is it's innovative and it's camera work. It's innovative in how like different directors seem to do, you know, Rami Youssef did one that was like totally kind of different. And it's just it's just and it's well acted and it's all these like non actor Chicago people are not known. Right. But it's it's great. The bear is great. So one of my guys is in that. Like uh I did a show called Lawyer Squad, uh with Tyler the Creator and his group of friends. And one yeah. of them is this guy named Lionel who is on that show he's the pastry chef yeah oh yeah the guy right. who makes awesome. all the, the pastries so yeah. I know because him really good. well like yeah he's I, really good I've sort of uh worked with him since he was a kid basically now he's grown up and he's kicking ass in the bear so I'm really proud it, of him the, the, the amazing thing about the bear to me Jay because I, I love it as well one you know being from Chicago and the deep cuts that they do of Chicago but the entire first season, I don't think I'm giving anything away, but the entire first season would be, if you were doing a network show, would be a cold open. Right. Like they took 10 episodes to get to, and you're with them every step of yeah. the way and it's small and it's minutiae. Like what's this? And then where they get to, if you were trying to tell that whole story in a different format, they'd be like, Okay, let's see that in three pages right. or a page and a half. That's what's so great. It's that, just so it's cool storytelling. Yeah, the 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 slow burn on unfolding the older brother's story, right? That is is so great. You're just waiting for these little nuggets to come out of. I think it's going to impact story. I, I wonder if they plan that or like or if they work into it. You know, like there's an older brother. We're going to see him. We don't know, and then he kind of gets mentioned, and they lean into it. It's just really uh, like creative the way it unfolds no doubt and hopefully it will impact television uh going forward for a little while because it's you know everybody seems to love it and you can go no we're going to make it a little bit more like the bear we're going to slow it down detail work right so we'll see i'll vouch for something that's also uh he's very popular as well um the uh, singer songwriter country uh oklahoma now fugitive zach bryan i got to go to see him live in idaho his lyrics are uh he's just an he's one of those guys who you're listening to and you're like i feel like i'm gonna listen to this guy for a long long time and my wife is really into his music and my daughter who's eight is like a huge zach bryan fan probably on cue just walked in the door and so I went, um, I surprised them all with tickets to go down to see Zach Ryan um, in Boise. And we went into, it was really cool the way they had the, so he didn't disappoint live is, is what I'm saying, but the stage was in the middle of the arena. So the pit was like around him. So it wasn't, he played on four front row stages, which nice. is totally incredible. And I was there, I had never, it was my daughter's first concert and she got to see uh, Fist Fight which uh, was scarring and crazy, <laughs> but it happened with like four songs left. And 
the way the fight went down was I, I got my two girls next to me and I see this kerfuffle happen to kind of in the aisle. It's a, it's a smaller arena. And these two girls are getting into like a scrap. And there's a giant dude wearing a cowboy hat standing in the middle, kind of like holding them apart. And I'm watching the show and, I, and I'm looking at and looking at them and I catch this guy's eye. And in my head, what I'm saying to this guy is, are we okay, man? Like, you got this? This isn't going <laughs> to go any further, right? And he gave me like a John Wayne nod. Like, yeah, man, you just enjoy that concert with your daughter and wife. I got this. And fucking 45 seconds later, Allie screams. Nice. And I turn around and the same guy who was like super cool is just pummeling this other guy. It, oh, shit. Still, it was one of those fights that was like a beehive and it, there was an exploding fight behind me. So I kind of look and I see the fight and I just put, I just stand up between uh, my wife and my daughter and the fight, but I'm not really thinking we're going to leave the show early. And then my daughter starts hysterically crying. Oh. She's processing like this. I know it was like, it was an awesome concert. And then this happens. So I'm like, all right, we're going to leave and we're leaving and we're walking back to the car in the parking lot and it's dark and she's looking at me and she's terrified. And I go, we'll put it this way. You went to your first real rock show and you're never going to forget it. And she was like, yep, I loved it. And that's, then she's got it from that one on. She loved <laughs> is, it. Is his music that kind so, of like shit kicking country music or is it like inappropriate like, that they were uh, fighting like that at this gentle music yeah that, that's a good point it, he's like more of a poet romantic rock right. and roll guy it's right, not right. like it's not like great white <laughs> you wouldn't think that yeah i wouldn't think that they'd be fighting and i but i did say to my daughter during the fight i go before when it was just the girls fighting i said i said vivi you see those two girls you know why they're fighting and she said no and i said because they're drunk and they're dumb don't worry about it everything's fine and then boom it's good for your kids to see their first fight. Like, I mean, I went to a... Uh, yeah. The 49ers-Rams game. Not thinking twice about it. Like, that. I had no idea that it's it's fucking gnarly. And this is back before SoFi. This is me taking little kids to the Coliseum, you know, and holy shit, this fight breaks out. In the, and there's no security anywhere around. Like, these guys fought until they got too tired to fight. Right. right. They're just beating the Yeah, no blood. one's stepping in. Blood, when your kids see blood from a fight the first time, it's fucking Oh, man, wow. a football game. A football reminds... game. And then we're in this stadium, and this dude is fucking right in front of us, like, standing next to this girl. His arm has disappeared to the elbow. I, I've my, my kids are the right middle there. Of the fight. <laughs> middle of the fight. No, this is not the fight. This is during oh, the this game. This is the game. During the oh, game. We're, just, we're oh, in the yeah. stands, and this dude has oh. a fucking hand all oh. the way down through her pants and coming up the front, I guess. I don't no, know. So but. she's like that Congress. That was like that Congresswoman this week. Bulbert. A Beetlejuice. <laughs> Fuck. Jeff Hayes uh, and his brother Scott MacArthur and I went to uh, uh, Blackhawks uh, playoff game in Anaheim. And it was double overtime, and the Blackhawks won. And it was a very big fucking moment. And the Anaheim fans were all really fucking bummed, right? And so <laughs> Hayes is wearing this fucking Blackhawks shirt, uh, Jack, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, jersey. I, I got one on too. And we're walking through the crowd to leave, and Hayes is like, "Hey, I, uh, I missed the end of the game. Did anyone catch the score?" <laughs> like he keeps trying to pick a fight and his brother's like 
Dude, I've been I've I've had that exact same situation in Anaheim with Hayes, and he's going up to strangers like, "Hey, yeah, I know the like I, I'm not really paying attention, but do you know where any good hotels are in the Tampa area? Because uh, I'm going to be going down there to watch the Blackhawks play the Lightning in the next round. Just like just fucking with these big, and if you pick the biggest, you guys can fight, right? You're trained martial <laughs> artists. I can block a punch with my face. That was the rule. No fighting back. Oh, my God. So. All right. I, fuck. Let me think. Can I keep it just old school? Like we talked about. Anything. I'm thinking of the, Anything. the Rainbow Bar and Grill as this just authentic place that hasn't changed uh, since the 60s. I mean, like, we had to recreate this place for the dirt. And uh, I still go back there and have a great time. The, the food's okay, and it just—I love that it doesn't change, right? Is just, it called the—is it the Rainbow Room or the Rainbow, the Rainbow Bar, Bar and Grill? And grill. Rainbow Bar and Grill, and you and can that's just right go on there. Sunset. Any, it's right on Sunset. Like I said before, like, there's always just somebody from that world. Still, it's like anthropology. You just go there, and it's so fucking great. I'm but, gonna go. So it is. It, it's. Super, let me know when Jay, yeah, I'll the go booths, with you. the circular okay. booths. Okay, yeah, it's I'd awesome. Like to go That'll be good. So, uh, well, thanks for doing this, Jeff. We really appreciate it. Fuck pal. yeah, it's awesome, man. You guys are yeah, the best. So. Really good time. All right. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Thank All you. All right. Talk to you soon. Mustache Tales.